0: Alpine Touch has got you covered. Alpine Touch, Montana's special spice.
1: On this very fine Monday afternoon, hope you had a wonderful weekend. Hope you are finding a way to stay cool, to stay hydrated. Goodness gracious, I know. You know, there's people from out of state that think this ain't that bad, but those of us who've been here a minute, this is not acceptable. A 9,800 degrees. Are you kidding me? Middle of August? No, not for me. Thank goodness I have a job in this temperate climate here in the radio station. Now, let's take a look at what we got in the show today. We're going to go through quite a few uh, things today. First of all, a brand-new in-state recruit, as mentioned off the top, to the Montana State Bobcats, Kenneth Iden from Bozeman, going to go to Montana State. We will talk with him. Uh, we will not talk with him today. We will talk about him today. We will speak with him hopefully later in the week uh, is the plan on that. We'll go through the recruits recruits and where we stand on uh, all of them we also will get into the NBA playoffs I mean if the first game is any indicator are you kidding me the Jazz and Nuggets going OT Donovan Mitchell 57 in a loss oh my goodness that's how we go. That's how you get things started there. The Nuggets and the Jazz. I hate that they're playing each other in the first round because I like both those teams. I don't want either of them to be out in the first round. But uh, such is the way the uh, the thing shook out and uh, the uh, Nuggets get the job done. 135-125 and OT. Toronto and Brooklyn playing as we speak. We'll bring you updates uh, throughout the show here. And also, we will send you for some uh, live basketball action tonight. Dallas Clippers, game one of the Mavericks Clippers series. That's an exciting one. So we will uh, get into that. Bryce Sturck, he has been cut by the Miami Dolphins, but he has been signed by the Cincinnati Bengals. So uh, even without anything happening, some things happening. So there you go. We get uh, Bryce Sturck moving around, and Travis Johnson was cut by the Bucks as well. Uh, be after suffering a slight groin injury. Uh, so uh, again, an injury n- never you, you can't be you can't be. Deep on the on the depth chart, deep on the totem pole, uh, and get injured. It just is just what it is. It uh, and if it happens, you generally aren't sticking around. Dante Olson, by the way, is still with the e- Eagles, so uh, we'll see uh, how he's able to go. But good that he is still uh, with them. So there you go. That's the show we got for you today. We'll get into. All of this and more. Uh, if you would like to call, you can do just that, 361-3688. All guests join us via the Regent Brothers RV phone line. You can text that line as well, 361-3688. And if you would like to listen live, you go to our website, 1029ESPN.com, 1029ESPN.com. You listen live all the time on the stream. Thanks to our friends at Opportunity Bank. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Hi, Coulter. Guess. Would you like your microphone on? There. What's up, guess. Sorry. Sorry. Uh so very much is up. I I don't even know where to start. I will <laughs> start you however. You look fabulous. You well, went you really I feel like terrible. First of all, almost everyone Thinks that they themselves look terrible. We're our own harshest critics. Sure, uh, but I also except in my been, case, I've
0: always been ugly my whole life, so I know exactly how no, to make myself no, look less
1: ugly. No, no, no. It's a great skill. This is a great look for you. The beard is very low. <laughs> it doesn't even look like it was done on accident, and it looks great. It wasn't. Uh, so we will. Uh, but
0: I've, I've had so many accidents at this point. I know how to. Uh, Remedy it quickly.
1: Now, here's the great irony. Our friend Reese, who has been working production on this show and doing some tech stuff for us, uh, is uh, pinch hitting up front at the front desk today. So he's not even on the show, but it's worth it because he is a part of the show. Happy birthday to Reese. Happy
0: birthday, Reese. 20
1: years old today. Mm. He was born in 2000. Man. I mean, consider that. Something, huh?
0: Well, I mean, I think the cliche is, man, I wish I was 20, but I don't. I wish I was born in 1965. I
1: know. I know you do. Maybe
0: actually like 1865 Mm. might have been right up the the Here's the
1: problem. I don't think that the food had come far enough for me in 1865. Like, it was still pretty pretty tough pickings i don't think there's yeah, a but lot of you wouldn't of good have food. to
0: worry about rationing yourself or not being gluttonous because back then you could just eat all the food because you didn't know when the next food was coming yeah i there was like, a lot of fat people i back like being 65. gluttonous you I, do oh yes and you're also a
1: carnivore i know so you could have eaten all that omnivore mice. even i'd go for all of it put the put the ice cream right on the salad for me uh all right uh Coulter, let's get into this we've been trying to start this thing with a little bit of fun it's yeah, our book buddy. of the day. Club, what book have you selected
0: for us today? I don't even know if you're allowed to say this on the radio, but it's called The Horror of Akron, One Man's Search for the Soul of LeBron James. Way to hesitate. This was written by Scott Rabb, uh, who's a longtime journalist that is a native of Cleveland, and this book was written right after the decision, mm-hmm. right after LeBron James left Cleveland high and dry. Uh, it's part expose, part personal essay, part therapy session, and...
1: He picked up Dan Gilbert's hate, hate letter and just wrote the whole book on it.
0: But it's so much better than Dan Gilbert's. Well, Dan, of course Because Dan Gilbert's just came off as just this crying, sniveling... Yes. Well, which is what he was. Right. This book... Everybody that listens to this show regularly knows that I love LeBron James. I think that he is a transcendent member of the, member of the human race. I think he's had as great of an impact because of the platform he was given by basketball in a variety of other areas as well. I think that... His show, The Shop on HBO, is one of the great talk shows on on Earth. I think it's a great social commentary, a great racial commentary. It's awesome. I think LeBron James has shut out the noise as well as anybody. I appreciate this book so much, although I disagree with the assertion that LeBron James is a narcissistic sociopath, as Scott Rabb writes. It's so well written. Though, at that moment, I think almost everybody would agree would have agreed with
1: him. I mean, he I, goes I, and gets on the stage and then not one, not two deal and all that. So I, I mean. haven't
0: read this book in probably nine years. It came out, I think, ten years ago. Mm-hmm. I would love to read it now again because I remember reading it and thinking, well, I had never thought about that, about LeBron, but also I don't disagree. But I think that if you read it now, it would also be a retrospective to show you how far LeBron has come. So th- it's not necessarily a book about you know, the statistics and path of LeBron James life. It's just more about one man's view of how this impacted a community. And I think by and large, the community itself felt this, and it resonated with them quite a bit. It's a great book. It's a great read. Thank. Check it out.
1: Thank you, Coulter. Thank you for bringing us a book. We'll keep doing our uh, book of the day here. How long before we run out of books that you've read? It's going to be a while. Oh, man. This is like this is only the ones oh, I in know in Missoula. I know. I know. Uh, quick update, just before we jump into some of the recruiting stuff, but uh, just real-time information for you. The Toronto Raptors are up 11, with 11 minutes remaining, 99-88 over the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, this is my upset special. We will get into that later. Not this particular game, necessarily, but the series. Nonetheless, uh, an 11-point advantage for the two-seed in the East with 11 minutes to go there in the fourth quarter. So we'll keep you uh, updated on what's happening in the bubble in real time here on ESPN Radio. Uh, Coulter in the state of Montana, a significant development in the uh, world of college football as it pertains to recruiting, and that is Kenneth Iden. Kenneth Iden, the fourth, if you are uh, you know tracking this thing generationally at your homes is going to the Montana State Bobcats. Uh, He is as productive a player as we've seen. Uh, Will Disley's school record for sacks... Will Disley was pretty good at football, if I understand it correctly. He was indeed. He... He is now in second place to Kenneth Iden in that terms was of sacking the a quarterback. Yeah, uh, and so remarkable uh, career, forty-one tackles for loss as a junior, and now committing to uh, his uh, hometown ball club there in Bozeman. So Kenneth Iden going to Montana State. Tell us more about this and the significance of this in sort of the landscape of the in-state recruiting battle, which we know is raging three sixty-five.
0: Yeah, I mean. Honestly, I think that Kenneth Iden is is one of the most interesting and uh, unique recruits to analyze that the state of Montana has seen Mm -hmm. because of a variety of factors. First of all, he's a legacy kid. His dad played at Montana State. So, you know, growing up in Bozeman, you had to think that Montana State had the inside track all along. Kenneth Iden has done as good a job of using social media and – just the concept of recruiting yourself as any kid I've ever seen that came out of the state of Montana. He had a, everybody's got huddle now, but just putting your five best plays from each game is one thing. Making it into an opus that's edited in a way that makes it entertaining and compelling is a completely different thing. His huddle film ever since he was a sophomore has been great he has never been scared to just tweet it out and, and just link all the coaches for the schools that he might be interested in. Mm-hmm. Send it to him directly right there in front of everybody. And I think that's an interesting tactic. And the other thing is that he comes from um, a family that I think is pushing really hard. I'll, tell, I'll actually tell him this story when he's on the show on, uh, later on this week. But I used to work at the front desk of the Ridge Athletic Club in Bozeman, which is a, a mega gym that had, you know, 10,000 plus members, great personal trainers, great everything. I mean, it wasn't just a gym. It was like an athletic training facility, a ton of the high school. Average Joes? It, it was kind of like Globo Gym. Yes. Uh, the but, the, but there was a, there was a group of guys that the, the strength coach at Bozeman High at the time, Sean Beckett, he also would work with kids down at the Ridge a lot too, personal training sessions and stuff like that to get extra work in. Well, I remember, Kenneth, I used to come in there and work out when he was still in middle school. I remember thinking, his dad's know big, fit dude. I used mm-hmm. to think, man, you know, this is going to work out really well or not. Because a lot of times when you see kids get pushed that hard young, it makes them burn out. But testament to the kid, obviously it hasn't because he's, a, he's a, turned into an outstanding athlete. So he's got the foundation. He's got the pedigree. I think that he's also had the opportunity to go and see what college football is all about pretty much from coast to coast. People are getting a little bit more keen to the recruiting lingo and stuff like that, but there was a time when people really didn't know the difference between offers and interest. You know, are you getting lightly recruited, heavily recruited, or do you actually have an offer? You get invited on visits you know, all these sorts of things. Is it an official visit? Is it an unofficial visit? But Kenneth Iden, here's just the list of schools where he stepped on campus, whether it was he was invited there or he went there to go check it out and present himself to that football program. Montana State, Montana, Montana Tech, Northern Arizona, Boise State, Colorado, Colorado State, Iowa, Nebraska, North Dakota State, Oregon State, South Dakota State, Utah State, Washington, Washington State, and Wisconsin. I also have seen him interact with coaches from Iowa and Iowa State, Kansas and Kansas State. So the kid has basically put himself on the radar of every school west of the Mississippi. Right. That in itself is – I've never seen that done before. Testament to him for getting his name out there. But then you talk about him as a player. I think oftentimes – projections and stuff like that are interesting you can see when when guys do have some up, upward potential get when guys are raw and they you can tell that they are going to be able to blossom into something great but then there's also other guys that are physically mature early on and maybe they don't have the same level of hype when it comes to their upward potential mm-hmm. but at the end of the day production is undeniable and Kenneth Hayden is the most productive defensive end that has ever played in the state of Montana going into his senior year. There, I've never seen numbers like his. He's got 36 and a half sacks and 81 tackles for loss the last two years. I mean, 20 plus sacks as a sophomore is incredible. I don't care it's if amazing. it's just in Montana. Right? It's, if you're a sophomore, that's unbelievable. You could say, oh, he's going against no-name tackles that aren't going to play in college. It doesn't matter. 20 sacks at the AA level is an amazing number for any kid, let alone a sophomore in high school. I mean, it's two a game. And then 41 tackles for loss as a junior so that is also a part of the equation because when you look at him, his build, his frame, he's he's a tweener. I mean, he's a six foot, two hundred and thirty-one pound guy, not prototype size for a DN. But again, the production is undeniable. Well then when you watch him in person, he's also a fascinating analysis. He never seems like he's fully exerting himself. He never seems like he's going full speed. He never seems like he's playing with his hair on fire. But he never comes out of the game. He's always around the ball, or he always has the ball in his hands. So I think it's just a testament to how slow the game comes to him. He's not that Tasmanian devil type guy like Brad Daly used to be coming off the edge. But then all of a sudden you look up, he's got three sacks and seven tackles for loss. And he hasn't come out of the game. And he also plays on offense, too. So I just think it's such an interesting dynamic. But at the end of the day, the fact that he committed to Montana State, I think is money in the bank. Because it's a hometown kid who's a legacy kid who's going to want to give his all to be a Bobcat. Those are all advantages of his. I also thought that if he was a guy that was going to go to the FBS level, I think he has the talent to play in the FBS. He would just just would have had to play for a coaching staff that used him correctly, and that's a lot harder for a kid from Montana that doesn't stay in Montana. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what position he'd play at the FBS level. I really, you can play D end at six one two thirty in the FCS. I don't know where you play in the FBS, because I, I, I just think that. Even if you have the ability, coaches will just out-recruit you. That'll be a 6'4", 250-pound guy in front of you every recruiting club
2: at blackfoot communications we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running from networks and security to communications and 24 7 support our team works with you to understand your technology demands then deploys the right solution for your unique needs whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take the next step blackfoot is here to help call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash business blackfoot connect
1: to more so Let me ask you this because we talk about how how often it feels like I think this used to be the norm I think it's less so now but coaches have a scheme that they want to run and they got the players that they get and then they figure out how to use them within that scheme rather than you see what players you're able to recruit and obviously you can recruit a certain type of guy to a scheme and that's yeah. I mean that's that's the ideal but how much more often it feels like coaches are, are sort of dedicated and believing in what it is that they want to do schematically mm-hmm. instead of looking at what their guys might be best at and allowing them just to go do that. Yeah. But also, it comes that, that comes to some extent as a criticism, and it is, and it certainly would be to me at the NFL level. Yeah. But I think that it's easy to forget, you got 100 dudes... Who you can't spend all the time in the world with, any time that you want to, because of NCAA regulations and so on and so forth. If you're a head coach, over the course of the first two or three years of a redshirt season, your undergrad or your your, your uh, uh, you know lower levels freshman sophomore seasons, certainly the time to grow into what you're going to be as a football player and develop the skills that maybe a coach wants you to have is there but also it's hard to do to sit here and go okay It's easy in one instance to go, this kid, he's this tall, he's this high, this is what he does well, this is what he would be best at. It's really hard to do that 50 times over and then put the puzzle together and say, this is what we as a team are going to do. This is the vision of that because I know he'll do that great. He'll be a compliment to this guy. He'll be a third compliment to this guy. He can get off the edge, but he can't drop, and we can... And we can make it all work with this, you know, with these assets and to come together as a coaching staff and and a, a head coach sort of being the CEO of that and try and make that go is an unbelievably hard thing to do. And again, in the offseason, maybe you got four hours a day only two of which are in like a weight room setting and the others in like a classroom setting then eventually you get on the field and you got you know maybe a month and then you got your 15 spring practices whatever it is but sometimes it's easy to sit on here and go well why don't you just use the kid properly and in in in, in instances that certainly they you know We've seen plenty of instances where kids are not being maximized in terms of what they could be. But also, I do recognize uh, is, that's, a, that's a huge, huge task to pull off. And I think all, all the coaches at some level are trying to pull that off. But you have, to, you have to be the conductor of the orchestra, right? I mean, you have to be able to see the windwoods and the Brass and the percussionists all together happening. And not everybody can do that. In fact, very few can do that.
0: Yeah, now you got my wheels spinning when it comes to the the two programs in State and the Big Sky Conference. Um, I think that one place that Jeff Choate has grown so much at Montana State, when he first got to Montana State, particularly when you're talking about their defensive front seven, they're running the same scheme at Washington that Washington ran. At Washington, you can recruit these very specific guys to play these very specific positions. Like, you can go out and get yourself a Danny Sheldon, the most prototype nose guard you can find. Right. At Montana State, that's good. You got you got to find somebody that can play that spot. Like Chase Benson does not look like a nose. Chase Benson's kind of like a three tech slash a strong end type guy. Mm. I mean, he's like 6'4", 260. He's not the little spark plug guy. You know, every once in a while you will get a Tucker Gates, which is perfect for you. But a lot yeah. of other times, you know, I think that year one Choate would have never played Derek Marks on the inside. Year four, he does play Derek Marks on the inside. I mean, Derek Marks is not even bigger than me. He's like six three, two thirty. Two, I mean, probably two fifty by the time his senior year was done, but the flexibility allowed them to then, like you're saying, you know, guys have production, even if they're not playing their prototype spot. If you harken back to the first tenure of Bobby Houck, I thought one of the things that they did the best, and we talk about the kind of simplicity of their defensive scheme back then, you can run a simple defensive scheme when you have better talent than everybody else, especially in the secondary. And there was a point in time where, you know, Montana, when they had Tremaine Johnson, Jimmy Wilson, Colt Anderson, and Shan Schillinger, you got four guys about to get drafted in the NFL. So you can do a lot of stuff when that's your secondary. Um, but I think that the two things that Coach Houck does so well uh, is give young guys an elevated opportunity that has nothing to do with scheme. It has everything to do with effort. Like, look what they did with Jacob McGoring last year. And the redshirt rule, I think, now is going to cater to what Coach Houck likes to do in that phase, too, because McGoring got to have a redshirt and still had four sacks. Right. But when he came in the game, there was no responsibility. You're not holding the edge. You're not sealing the gap. You're not, you know, Whatever. Get the quarterback. That's it, effort. And that's where when it when the Grizz had it rolling from Joe Glenn into Bobby Houck, that's where they were so brilliant because they would just roll their young guys in on third and long. They don't have to know anything. They don't have to know anything. Just yeah. get after yeah. it. And that's how those guys then would get groomed and make a name for themselves. And you always saw for the Grizz, like that third or fourth DN would always have half a dozen sacks. No no real other production, but they would always be right there. And then when they got their turn, learn the scheme, then they'd become All-Americans, guys like Mike Murphy. But I think that Bobby Houck knows that, especially with front seven players so well. But Jeff Choate has come such a long ways in that as well. And um, I, it'll be really interesting to see what this what Iden becomes, because sometimes you get put into a box, even no matter how productive you are. I mean, I remember when Brad Daly was coming out of Helena Capital High School and he was going through this. I mean, Brad Daly came to Montana State as a partial scholarship guy, maybe even a walk-on, decided he didn't like the college life, so he left the program, went and worked on the oil fields for a year, came back, basically begged his way back onto the team. Now, let's just pause. Going to the oil fields
1: could be an eye-opening experience as to how nice college is. Am I right about that's that? That's exactly what Brad said. Yeah, <laughs> no thinking, question. I don't want this college life, it's not for me. Let me
0: go to the oil fields for a while. You know what? The food zoo's pretty great. That's right. Yeah. But then Brad came back and they still had doubts. <laughs> I still had doubts about him and then he went and led the league in sacks coming yeah. off the bench. Yeah. And then, you know, then forty sacks later, he's one of the greatest defensive ends I've ever covered. Okay, let me so I think I mean that's what Iden's upside is. That's what he could be. We'll see. What he does become?
1: Let me ask you this: Because to uh, tell Nuwana's ESPN Radio, you you this most recently was something that that we saw in Seattle defensively, where everybody on earth, the other team, them, the fans, even knew what Seattle was going to do defensively. They ran their base and they just did their thing, and they had you know and. You know, Richard Sherman's going to be on the the weak side or whatever it is. And that's just they're on the left side, I guess, is the way that that they set it up. And then then they're just going to go because they got better players than you got who are perfect for what it is they're trying to do. And they don't think you can do it. To some extent, San Francisco's in that same boat now. I mean, they just got the dudes that can just win one-on-one all the time. At the FCS level, it's really hard to do that. Uh, to just have guys that are just better than everybody else in front of them. But if you can do it, you don't have to be overly complicated, especially defensively in what you do and still be very, very successful. That said, Bobby Houck goes to San Diego State, works with Rocky Long, and picks up a very, very, I don't know that it's complicated, but it is a very atypical defense. And I sure. think it is complicated to some extent. But it's not In my opinion, right, he's not bringing this in to hide deficiencies because personnel is a problem. He, Like, we've seen this thing work and work really well. And last year, I thought Montana's defense was, for the most part, pretty lights out. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to me to watch a team who has the potential over the next couple of years to be personnel-wise better than basically everybody that they go against, most of the teams that they're going to go against, mm-hmm. and running a scheme that is going to be so odd as we've covered quite a bit to prepare for from an offensive standpoint. And this defense man could, could roll people, it seems to me, from the two-pronged, we're just better than you flat out, and you aren't really sure what in the world's happening with our five-high shell and three-safety look that's the base you know, defense that we run out of.
0: I think the initial implementation of this defense was tr- strategic because I think that there were some certain spots that Montana really lacked personnel-wise. First and foremost, interior defensive line. Hmm. And this scheme ha- gives you the ability to have less interior defensive linemen on the field. I think that in the long term, it's easier to recruit to because it's just easier to find linebacker slash strong safety bodies than it is to find. Interior defensive linemen that are elite athletes. And it it just is. There's just a lot more six foot two, two hundred twenty pound guys out there than there is 290 hundred ninety pound guys. It's just a fact of the matter. Yeah. Especially Montana too, because I mean, there's great. Always going to be great linebackers in Montana, mm-hmm. great safeties in Montana. You know, great athletes that are kind of just rovers playing high school football in Montana that you could develop into either one of those things. But I agree with you. I think that moving forward, it's going to be fascinating to see what Montana does, because on one hand, I think that the scheme is catered to modern-day football quite a bit. I want to see what the scheme looks like when they have really good corners, because they've only been adequate at best at corner mm-hmm. the last two years. I want to know what they look like if they have lockdown guys. I think a couple of the transfers they brought in could be that. How does that help them diversify the scheme? How much right. more pressure can you come with? That's always been the thing. You know, I always talk about Craig Paulson's defense under Bobby Houck the first time around. Was pretty simplistic in nature uh, because of the talent that they had, but they always would find a way to bring an extra man to pressure the quarterback. What does the raise, uh, the rise level of talent in the secondary do for that element of things? But the other thing that I I'm so interested to see is it is really hard to find the six, four, three hundred pound guys to play at this level. Bobby Houck never wanted that. Bobby Houck was the master the first time around of fighting six foot four, two hundred forty pound guys who came became six foot four, two hundred sixty pound guys. That even if they don't have the mass, they got the quickness, the athleticism. I mean, think about our uh, some of our guys, some of our buddies, friends of this show: Tyler Hobbs, Craig Metler, you know, Brian Waldhauser. Those that's the Bobby Houck prototype. Mm-hmm. Dudes that aren't. 300 pounds. Dude. I don't know, man. I don't want Mettler taking me to the ground. Well, no doubt, but that's because you know that Met could throw <laughs> you on the ground, but also he could dance around you because he's yeah. athletic. That's yeah, what I'm is. saying. Like, he he's a great basketball player. Uh-huh. That's the model is the dude. You don't need the 300 if you can't. Block me. If you can't touch me because I'm more athletic than you, that's where it's at. And now he's going to be a great dean of students, too, <laughs> you know? Let's be clear about that. Oh, Mets, listen. But, I mean, that, that is the uh, the prototype. So, so but I, I'm interested to see because Hauk is so good at recruiting and developing those guys. Yeah. So then do they change a little bit? Because right now they basically are only playing the three D linemen that are just plugs. If you have more guys, maybe you diversify your scheme. So maybe they do have multiple fronts that they play. We'll see tell nuanas 1029
1: ESPN Radio. On the other side, we'll evaluate who's winning, losing, tied the in-state recruiting battle. But in order to do that, we've got to figure out how is it that we actually do evaluate. And second of all, at the end of the day, it's fun to talk about, but how much does it matter? We'll get into that right after this. Hey, the Silver Slipper, they are open again for sit-down service. They made some changes to help keep everyone safe and healthy. Their patio is open. You can go sit outside, enjoy the weather. It's covered. It's in shade. Okay? You don't have to worry about being inside, being close to people, all that. They're also doing weekly giveaways to local golf courses. So stop in, ask your bartender how you can win. Things are changing all the time. So like the Silver Slipper on Facebook for the most up-to-the-minute information. They have the friendliest staff in town, no matter what's going on. No matter if it's good, bad, hot, cold, otherwise – you to know, enjoy yourself, people taking carry at the Silver Slipper. The Silver Slipper, it's all about good food, tasty beverages, and their urge to have a good time. They're across the street from Super Walmart on Brooks. Visit online SilverslipperLounge.com for more info and stop by today to see why the Silver Slipper is one of Montana's best kept secrets. Coulter, during this time where we gotta be a little bit socially distanced, it's nice to know we can get out on the links and play a little bit of golf. And nobody better than Western Birch to get your round started right. What's what's going on here? I mean, the birthday boy doesn't come in to do his thing. So Tommy sits back here, who's been here since before any of us were here, and now we got no music.
0: I told you, I'm used to sitting back and raking in the cash. <laughs> I'm done pushing these buttons for you guys. Had my first feeling of enthusiasm and excitement in months, just Tommy's in the back thinking I'm going to get some new slick jams. You know, the
1: irony is... And, uh, Nothing. The only way to not have music is by pushing buttons. Like, if you literally sat back there and <laughs> fell asleep, we would have music, but no music. It's okay. Tommy, you're new. You know, it's, it's your first day back. It's been days and days since you've been in here, so we'll we'll extend you a very little bit amount of rope because you did put up screens in here. You moved all the cables out. You put a graphics package into our computer. I mean, you don't need to have the music. I it's distinctly
0: okay. remember it turning... 2000 from 1999, and Mrs. Flanders kept like messing this up after we came back from school. And she, like, right, we have to read the date along with her. So, January, whatever, 1999. Oh, I made a mistake. And she grabbed the eraser and erased it and write 2000, you know, with yellow chalk or red chalk or blue chalk. I don't even think Reese knows what a chalkboard is or has been in a chalk using classroom, which
1: is why he's great here. He helped me fix a mouse earlier. You know, back in the day, you go back 40 years, fixing a mouse was a job for a veterinarian. It's 2TEL 1029 ESPN Radio. Uh, Coulter, we uh, we went through just sort of some broad stuff. Obviously, the, the big news again, Kenneth Iden is committed to Montana State out of Bozeman High School. Uh, and so we have the list here of in-state Recruits. Is actually, that, all the recruits that have gone. Okay, all the recruits, but we want to focus in on the in-state guys, I think specifically, uh, and where they've gone. And so, give us the total in terms of the numbers, and and uh, you know what, which each uh, what, what what kids have gone to what school in terms of the total, because right now Montana State has about double the in-state recruits that the, the University of Montana has.
0: Yeah. So Montana State, Kenneth ends the seventh uh, in-state commitment, or excuse me, the eighth in-state commitment, uh, and the twelfth commitment overall. The Grizz cur- To Montana State. To Montana State. Yep. And the Grizz currently have six guys committed, uh, four of which are from um, Montana. One piece of news that's w- worth noting, uh, the Grizz got their first out-of-state commit in quite some time in Daniel Britt, who's a uh, two-star quarterback out of Liberty High School in Henderson, Nevada. So, okay. efforting him to be on the show as well. I uh, like his tape. One the old stopping grounds. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Bobby Hauk has connections in all sure. those Vegas places, and, you sure. know, as, as does a lot of the staff. I mean, Chad Germer's recruited down there because he was at UNLV. Kent Bears recruited down there because he was at UNLV as well. So they all have connections down there in the Vegas area. And actually, this is a funny thing to say, but Las Vegas is really under-recruited. It's, it's really over-recruited for basketball. It's really under-recruited for football. Do you think
1: Las Vegas has grown... At one point more than any other city in America yeah. Yeah. And, and very close I mean the last decade, they I don't know if they've doubled their population, but man, they they've they have exploded and it has become from being what was just like the place you go to have a fun weekend or, right. you know, to watch the Super Bowl, it has become <laughs> one of America's big western cities I mean it's about to have now its second professional sports franchise that being an NFL team by the way and it is it is a real epicenter of urban life now that isn't it's more than just the strip despite whatever Tommy wants to tell okay he's out but in any case do you think that coaches I mean that they probably see that at some point you can kind of sense that but do you think they go oh my goodness like There is so many more kids here playing football than there were even five, eight years ago, and there's not that many more coaches taking a look at this.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of factors that go into it, too. Not only is it a rapidly growing city, but it's a good weather climate, so you can practice and play outdoor sports like football year-round. Good in quotes. The, The other thing that's interesting, too, is because of the money from the casinos, teachers get paid better in that area, in Nevada period but in Las Vegas especially than almost anywhere in the country and there's also no income tax in Nevada so you're going to actually attract some of the best teachers in the country a lot of times that's going to translate then into coaching too yeah so there's there's such a the, uh, the underbelly of Vegas is is something that I don't know if it's as strong as it once was, but it did have such an infiltration into sports even until recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was the huge scandal at Finley Prep for basketball. Um, Bishop Gorman, I mean, the, the whole... There was a lot of mafia no, I back you. in there. Ter- I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, Tony Sanchez went from a high school coach to the UNLV coach after after Bobby Houck, and it was because of some pretty influential people in Las Vegas with some weird ties. So, I don't know. We'll see We'll see how it evolves. But Daniel Britt looks like a pretty good one. I also think it's um, fun to watch the type of quarterback Bobby Houck has been recruiting because uh, he's got a new mold. He used to really like the Craig Oaks, Josh Swagger type guy, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, pocket passer. The game's evolved. Bobby Elko is involved. I think that's one thing he deserves a ton of credit for empowering yep. his coordinators uh, to have much more diverse and unique schemes than what they ever ran here first time around under Coach Houck. But they, they're putting a high priority on. We don't really care how tall you are. We want an athlete. Yeah. And they have multiple athletes in the program now. And Daniel Britt looks like another one of those. But back to this, the, the docket here this year in the state of Montana. I think there's. Uh, I think the top kids are a little bit better than they have been in the past. And I also think it's a deeper class in the state of Montana than it has been in quite some time. I think there's a lot of factors to it. And we'll actually get into that later this week. But from a timeline standpoint,
1: when it came to this recruiting class, yep. Montana State shot out of the gates and I think four or five kids got, from the state of Montana kids in like a week. Yep. Other yep. than they had one way back. In like, But in the Elijah second Elijah Reynolds was the first one yep.
0: last December from Red Lodge. Then they got Eli Abbey from Laurel, Cade Cutler from uh, Phillipsburg, Jace Fitzgerald from Dillon, Jace Fisher from Troy all in the span of a week. And if you got kids who, you know, are preferred
1: walk-ons that might develop into, you know, scholarship guys. I mean, that that's the best case scenario. If you got a sure. guy that you have to give a scholarship to cuz it means he's really good. Yep. But also in terms of the, you know, the stars or the blue chip system or however you want to judge it, these are kids who have, you know, upside certainly and can play football, but also in terms of the total class, we're not in the top, you know, 5-7 kids coming out of the state of Montana at the high school level or are committing at this time going into their senior years.
0: Yeah, I thought, I thought Cutler was right there. Yeah, uh, He he was the best of that initial wave. Um, Jason Fitzgerald's a good get just because his dad played at Montana, but the family allegiance has shifted to Montana State. That's a whole different story for a whole different radio show. But his bro, obviously, Jason Fitzgerald's brother plays at Montana State currently. Uh, but, but you're right. The, the big pawns in this recruiting game, the first strike – was Jace Klusiewicz right. from Frenchtown via Sentinel committing to Montana. So although the Cats got this big group of five, the Grizz struck back and struck in a big way by getting switch. But then the Cats were able to swing back, and they got Neil Daly. We actually, actually said we kind of glossed over because it was when we were gone on vacation. How and dare Neil, we? Neil Daly is a great player. He's a three-star recruit. The kid is a really good athlete, though. People in Missoula will remember him because he was a state placer, maybe even the state champion in the high jump. He he definitely was in the mix for a state title in the high jump as a sophomore at Missoula Sentinel. But then his family moved to Billings. He had a great junior year and got himself a three-star rating. Still continues to thrive in track, but he's a guy with a lot of upside. So that was a good get for the Cats. But then the Grizz got Kellen Dietrich, who, in my opinion, is a top-five guy in the state. So that Mm -hmm. gave the Grizz two of the top-five guys. But then the cats getting Idan. Okay, now that levels the docket. I think Reynolds, Elijah Reynolds, the first commit overall, was a good get early. So now I think that the, you know we're kind of marching down to it. But the two premier guys that are left, Dylan Rollins. I don't know if either of these schools are going to sniff him. He's got. I mean, if if one if either Montana or Montana State was able to get Dylan
1: Rollins, yeah. it would sign seal and deliver them quote winning the 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 uh, recruiting year. Yep. Exactly. If that was to happen. Exactly. But that leads into this question. I uh, think uh, it's a really other, good question. One point. other guy yeah. that's still
0: on the board is Junior Bergen from billing Senior. Okay. Um,
1: we talk about, you know, winning the recruiting, and obviously, I mean, the better recruits you can get, especially in-state, you know, we, we know how important that is. But it it is that because it becomes that over time. Yes. It ain't that today, you know? It's a big deal because they're there, but it, it you know, we've seen so many kids who we didn't think would be any good become great. Yep. And so many kids who looked like they were going to be the next big thing fizzle or maybe get injured, whatever the thing might be. Totally. So the question then is how much stock or how important is it really to sit here and go, you've done this? Look, the rivalry doesn't just happen once a year in November, right? The rivalry is ongoing. And any time you sign a kid, you know, you can you – can, Use that to your feather-in-the-cap advantage, you know, looking over the, over the pass. Fine, I understand that. That's all well and good, but when it comes to what actually ends up playing out on the field, assessing this now, is it a fool's errand? Is it, a, is it a, a, an inexact science, or is it really important?
0: I think it's a fool's errand, by and large, because I think that the majority of Montana kids you're going to get, no matter how talented they are, are going to be developmental kids. That said, recruiting Montana kids is is much like the lottery, the balls in the NBA lottery. The more balls you have, the more chance you got to get in the number one pick. Sure, the more Montana guys you have, more of those guys are going to stay. Mm. There's so much less of a chance. This is just fact of the matter. There's just so much less of a chance a guy's going to walk away from a Montana school if he's from Montana, just because of all the elements that go into it. He probably dreamed of doing it. It's not going to be a foreign place to him. I'm mean, moving from Great Falls to Bozeman is not like this culture shock, whereas we've seen... Yes, kids, it is. Well, I mean, we, But, we, but, but, but not, I mean, the weather thing is real, though, man. We see kids oh, every year. Man. that are like We see Southern California kids every year that come up here and they're like, man, no one told me that the winter was like this.
1: The best joke I'm ever going to make, and you didn't even laugh. But,
0: I mean, at it. it was fine.
1: But yes, I mean, you, it's true. They come in September for their official visit. They say, like, hey, this is okay. What is everybody talking about, snow?
0: Mm, I, and I think just that, hold on. I on think now. that it, the, the heart and soul of the programs are always going to be built on Montana kids. And I think last year's Kiacke game was one of the best displays of people could say all you want. We've heard this argument rage for 30 years. Some fans will say, I want the best kids, period. I don't care where they're from. They're all going to become Grizzlies. They're all going to become Bobcats no matter what. It's true. That's true. Other people will say, well, it means more the Montana kids. They're going to fight to the death for these programs. That's true, too. Just So much of it comes down to the priority you put on the rivalry game, because I do think that the number one game it gives you the biggest advantage in is the rivalry game. I thought Montana State won the rivalry game last year handedly because guys like Mitch Brott and Josh Hill and Braden Conkle were just, they were not going to lose that game. It was the biggest game of their lives, and they played like it. And But is, but is, overall for the arc of your program, is that the best thing, to have that be the biggest game? I don't know. For that moment in time for Montana State, it was great. But this all comes down to how do you develop, right? I mean, there's so many factors that go into it. Jace Klusiewicz's dad played for the Grizz. A lot of times legacy kids thrive because they're living up to their family legacy. A lot of times they don't because they can't handle the pressure. Ken Thiden's dad played for the Cats. Can he live up to that? You know, staying in your hometown. Sometimes that could be awesome because you have your parents and your family there. Sometimes it's not awesome. It's all about the personality of the right. kid. So there's really no way to evaluate it. But I do think that just giving yourself more of a chance. I mean, that's one thing. Jeff Choate's recruiting methods at Montana State have been um, analyzed and, and sometimes criticized, offering all these guys. He's talked to us about it on this show quite often. And you know, he said, first couple years, We recruited everybody because we thought we could upgrade at every position. We thought we just didn't have a lot of talent. We wanted to upgrade there. But the other philosophy he's had for uh, quite some time now is that you just recruit a bunch of offensive and defensive linemen because then it doesn't hurt you so bad when you miss. You recruit a bunch of corners because then it doesn't hurt you so bad when you miss. I mean, we've hardly talked about the attrition in Montana State's cornerbacks position, right? Even though they've had tons of talented guys either get hurt or not work out or leave the program. I mean... Most programs, if you lose guys like Jalen Cole and Darren Gardenhire and Najee Hale and the the Gibson twins, that kills you. But they didn't. Now they they still have two all-league corners because they recruited highly. But it's the same philosophy here with Montana kids. You have a better chance of more kids sticking around and developing and blossoming if you just have more of them. But that said, I, I still am not ready to declare Montana State the winner of this yet. Montana State has a lot more chances. They got a lot more balls in the lottery. But I do think that a couple of the kids that Grizz have gotten are incredibly talented kids too. And I do think that it's a real
1: hard, it's a much harder scenario at the FCS level when bringing a bunch of kids in, you, there is a separating line between the having a scholarship and you don't have a scholarship. And I know that you can do kind of split scholarships and that kind of thing as well. So, okay. It's not just you have, or you don't, but yeah, what? 83 of them, the FBS level, 85 or 85, excuse me, 85 of them. Yep. I mean, outside of, like, your freshman, everybody's on full scholarship, man, on those football teams, you know what I mean? So you can, not only can you afford to, but you are able to just bring in everybody you want. You have to bring in kids that really want to be there. That's, again, why the Montana thing is so important, that aren't on scholarships and have to work to earn that thing. But you have to be very, very uh, skilled at how you assign those things as you go, too, and that's a big part of it.
0: Well, and and that's... uh I was talking about this with a couple guys who played for Coach Houck over the weekend. And that was one of the brilliance of Bobby Houck is he was so good at identifying the guys he knew would be pissed that they weren't on full rides and then make sure they weren't on full ride for a semester or or a year and have this full ride out of state, a lot of times transfer guy over here to motivate them. That's how you get Sean Lebsack. Mm -hmm. Sean Lebsack's double-A player of the year, two years in a row building. Scav, you say, we're not going to give you a full ride. Prove it to me. Well, then by the time Sean's a third-year sophomore, he's a first-team all-league player, he's the captain of your defense, and then you're giving him a full ride all day. But you motivated him with all these other guys. But Coach Houck's so good at identifying the guys who can handle that, who use that, not, oh, poor me, I'm not getting the love I need instead saying I'm gonna go win that spot we'll see if it continues to work in this second era uh, but that that's definitely an interesting dynamic
1: it's gone final in the bubble the Toronto Raptors uh, Raptors a 24 point win over Brooklyn 134 110 uh, so we will get into uh, that and in just starting the Philadelphia 76ers and Boston Celtics we we'll cover that but next we may talk about Sean O'Malley but we also got a Interesting text, a good question on the text line. We'll get to 361 368 You want to text in the show, you're welcome to do that. And then, um, uh, you know, maybe your thoughts get read on the air as well. So we'll go to that here right after this. The Silver Slipper, they are open again for sit-down service. they made some changes to help keep everyone safe and safe and healthy. The patio is open, so enjoy the beautiful weather outside and go sit. Enjoy socially distanced, spaced, great food, great beverages. They're changing all the time so go to the silver slipper facebook page like it there for the most up to the minute information they're also doing weekly giveaways to local golf courses so stop in and ask your bartender how you can win they have the friendliest staff in town whether it's 100 degrees whether there's a pandemic whether it's perfect in the world everybody's going to be happy in there so go enjoy yourself the silver silver slipper it's all about great food tasty beverages and their urge to have a good time Across the street from Super Walmart on Brooks, there on the south end of Missoula. Visit the dot for more info and stop by today to see why the Silver Slipper is one of Montana's best kept secrets.
2: At Blackfoot Communications, we're experts at keeping your business technology up and running from networks and security to communications and 24-7 support. Our team works with you to understand your technology demands, then deploys the right solution for your unique needs. Whether your company is just starting out or is looking to take the next step, Blackfoot is here to help. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash business. Blackfoot, connect to more.
1: is back. So is the music.
0: I don't think Reese would pick that song.
1: Either. I'm not saying he did. I'm just saying there's music. And that's I'm a compliment to you, Reese. You're hey, way
0: more hardcore than that. Happy birthday, is by the way. It's a good track. Oh, happy so birthday. No longer a teenager. It's a pivotal day in the life of a man. Isn't it? Do you feel more respectable,
1: Reese? Yeah, that's right. I want you eh, to Just a little bit. You do? do you feel like you can go around and be like, yeah, no, I'm not a teenager now. I'm 20.
2: Uh, I felt older than before.
1: Well, you are older than before, so I guess that stands to reason. Thank you, Reese. Excellent work. <laughs> I asked him what he's doing for his birthday. I'm going home, eating dinner,
0: going to bed. Okay. Well, that's why he has a nice job, because he's not floating the river drinking 30 beers like (laughs) two other people that work on this show would have been doing. Tommy would
1: never do that. Okay, uh, Coulter, I know we want to talk about Sean O'Malley, and we will get to him uh, here at some point. But I do want to uh, uh, go ahead and point this out. 361-3688, by the way, is the phone number. You can text that number as well. This question came in. We are talking about the Grizzlies in the first segment, especially kind of the defense they play and, and the personnel that they're getting and that kind of thing. Here's the question. Talking about UM's defensive scheme, how can they slow down MSU's running game?
0: See, I love this question.
1: Or is it just a particularly bad matchup for the Grizz? I, I,
0: love, I love this question. question. I love this question because this is just gets you into football 550 in terms of the X's and O's here. Montana? Their defensive scheme, broadly, just just generally. Yeah. in simplicity is for the nose tackle. And this is why any criticism of Jesse Sims the last two years in terms of lack of statistical production was utterly unwarranted. Just unfounded. It's there's no his production is irrelevant because his production is Dante Olson's production. His production is being a house. Dante Dante Olson is an amazing player. He's one of the best sideline to sideline guys and one of the best knows for the football guys we've ever and seen. And one of the best point, point of contact point guys. Point of contact yeah. guys, flush, fluid tackler in the hole, on the edge. He does it all. Dante Olson got no less than forty more tackles the last this last year because Jesse Sims made sure that Dante Olson did not get touched. You could get a guy one on one in the hole without having to fight off the offensive guard if the offensive guards over here wrestling with the with the beast mode guy just right Sims. with the
1: center and the guard. Yes, yeah.
0: exactly. So, but that guy, his whole his whole purpose is to just create havoc, take the attention of at least two, if not three, of the interior defensive linemen. Yeah, the other two DNs are not really ends; they're more like tackles because they play on the inside shade. So, what does that mean? It means Montana's two inside linebackers have to play multiple gaps. When you have amazing p- players that can play multiple gaps, like Josh Buss, Jace Lewis, and Dante Olson, those guys can wreak havoc. So it's a great scheme. Montana will always be able to recruit that style of linebacker because they always have. There's been more great linebackers than any other position at this school over the last 30 years, Yeah, just period. Yeah, But when you play multiple gaps so often... The one weakness is if you get out of your gap. That's the other reason why I've heard from, and I any Bobcat fan that's listening to this, I hope you are because I've heard from so many people. I put out my All Big Sky ballot and I had Robbie Halk on the All Big Sky team. I got multiple emails saying, how could you possibly put him on the team? These are from Bobcat fans. The kid is out of position. He, he's not gap sound. He's terrible in coverage. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of the scheme. And also, Quite frankly, most of those Montana State people will probably only watch Robbie Houck in the Cat game and that he was exploited in that specific game.
1: You think there might be another reason why they... <laughs> no doubt. But, maybe thought but let's, less than but they should
0: be, have. But let's be clear. In Montana's <laughs> scheme, Robbie Houck is essentially the third linebacker, not the free safety. Yeah, He's the best open field tackler in the league now that Braden Conkle's not in the league anymore. But he was one of the two best anyways. So, okay, this this brings us then to what's the strength of Montana's defense? It's the aggressive downhill nature that the two inside linebackers and the one roaming free safety can play with. You also have to have diverse and skilled athletes at the other safety spots. I think that Josh Sandry didn't get enough credit for what he did do last year that maybe wasn't showing up in production because he has to take the whole wide side of the field a lot of times. He's got to be that extra, you know, if, if somebody cuts back and Houk's not there, he's got to be that dude. But anyways, those three guys, the whole scheme is built on them being hyper-aggressive, coming downhill, smashing the ball carrier at the point of attack. By and large, they did it phenomenally. They can, Montana can change its pre snap stuff so much, too, that it throws quarterbacks off. So even though those guys are almost always first step forward, they don't get that exploited in pass coverage. Every once in a while you might, but that's just college football in a nutshell mm-hmm. in the modern-day era.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You go against Montana State, though. What Montana State do? do offensively first of all they run more pre-snap motion and more strange and unorthodox formations than any other team in the league they also run gap scheme on their offensive line so the play is developed to 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 unfold slowly that's why you have to have awesome running backs with awesome vision and that's what their number one priority in recruiting running backs is that's why isaiah Fonse is so good he's not that fast he's just incredibly powerful and has unbelievable vision Logan Jones is fast and has great vision. Lane Sumner, fast, great vision. So when you talk about then you implement the zone read elements of Montana State's offense, combined with the gap scheme up front, combined with the pre-snap motion, that's where they have so much success in the run game. They have every defensive player in the big sky's head spinning before the snap. Well, then you factor in that Montana's whole thing is coming downhill at you, and then you factor in that Montana prepared heavily for Troy Anderson in the Wildcat run game, and that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And then you factor in heavily that, quite honestly, Montana State just, they baited Dante Olson and Robbie Howkin to getting out of gaps, and they had some gap scheme stuff that they'd never run all season long to just kick those guys out. And when you do it and you execute it, it's money. I mean, it doesn't matter how good you are. You can be Dante Olson. If you get blindsided by Mitch Brott in the hole, you're not making the tackle. And that's what happened so much last year. It really is a, a, a true matchup um, inequity. Montana State would, would rather play the scheme that Montana runs than any other scheme in the league. That said, there's no way that there's not going to be adjustments, right? That's the chess match. It's well, not going to continue like this forever. Uh, uh, look, man,
1: last year... Was uh, was a shocker that, that that football game to any? I think to everybody. I mean, I, I don't. If you told Jeff Choate forty eight fourteen, he would, he would have said absolutely not
0: going into that game. You and I think that the narrative around the state was that the Grizz were gonna roll. I think you and I gave the Cats a lot more credit than a lot of people. Other people did, but I, I still agree. I think well, that it was it was a complete surprise that it was like that.
1: That it, that it goes that way and. And if it's going if any, almost any game. I mean, let's put it like this: any game where the teams are are equitable in terms of the skill and the players that they have, which Montana and Montana State happily are. Yeah. For an a lopsided result like that, there is a whole lot going on that just is is either a uh, um, can I say in the ether? There's like it. There, there's there's a, when an emotional ball gets rolling in a certain way, and we've seen this in a lot of games, sometimes it just gets bigger than the game itself. But also, the scheme that Montana State had that key fit the lock to a T when they were on offense of what Montana had to do. No question. And the and one of the significant reasons that that was the case is because Troy Anderson didn't play part of it. Yeah. And and I mean, what Montana had prepared for. Was they got the exact opposite of it, and you know it's it, it became an impossibility to truly adjust on the fly and and stop doing what you've basically done all year and had tremendous success with and just held Weber State to like three points or whatever it was the you know the week before against the number three team in the nation and that's just the way it was it was it was unbelievable it was eye opening and it was anomalous. And if you go back to two years ago, yeah, Montana State won the game. How they win it? On a goal line stand on the last play of the football game. I mean, it was one of the great games in the history of the rivalry. Yep. So this isn't about, oh, this, you know, Montana can't stop the cat run game. That's That was true this last, you know, this last year sure. in the one game, you know, and, and that matters because they only got one shot a year at it. But I also don't think that that is. I'm not prepared yet to say, well, the matchup just doesn't favor Montana, although if there's a matchup, let's put it like this, they're much better prepared for other types of offenses than for Montana State, so it's not an ideal matchup in certain ways, but it's not just like, oh, well, Montana can do whatever they want all the time on the ground, though, what I mean, what are we What are we at, 300 yards? Oh, it was close to 400 it, yards. It, had, but in, in the last two straight, games, four, was it
0: four? Four straight games, Montana State's rushed for over 350.
1: but uh, against, Montana. against Montana. Okay, so there you go. But, of course, uh, that's what they do, right? That's what they do. You, you can rush for 350 if you only throw twice, but you're still not supposed to win that game, and Montana State did four years ago.
0: The, uh, the other thing that the Cats did the last couple of years, but specifically last year, is rather than game plan and scheme to avoid – Montana's best players, which is what almost everybody does across the board in all of football, they went right at them. Mm. I don't think that anybody was prepared for that. The other thing that we've always seen in the Kakerese game, at least in my 25 years observing and covering it, is that the games where the line play hits a stalemate early always become slugfest. They're always close games. If ever one line starts knocking the other one off the ball, that seems to manifest itself more than any other game of the year. We saw in 2014 here in Missoula. The Cats had a great offensive line. Quinn Catalano's a first-team all-league guard. J.P. Flynn ended up being an NFL guy. I mean, talking to Kai and Zach Wagman wrecked those guys. It wrecked them to the point where Jake Buskin threw five picks because he was getting hit so much. Mm-hmm. It was the same thing, but on the opposite side last year. Montana's young defensive linemen, I thought, were one of the secret ingredients to their success last year. But I guess that veteran cat offensive line, after the first two series, they were shaking in their boots and then it was just carnage on the <laughs> on the front line. And then Isaiah Fonse is just running for 195 yards. So uh, it's a matchup thing. It's an emotion thing. It's fun to analyze. But I do think that uh, last year in itself, it was the worst matchup in the league for the Grizzlies, the best matchup in the league for the Cats. But I don't expect that to remain the same. Of course. Stutel two 102.9 ESPN Radio, hour one of the books, hour
1: two straight ahead. Two games down in the first Round of the NBA playoffs. We'll tell you what happened and get you set up for my upset special, which went exactly the way I expected. That's right. Next.
0: It's finally starting to feel like winter around here. And if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes and they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear.